Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are in week three of our sermon series called Job and the Questions of Suffering. And remember what we're doing in this series is taking some time to explore this beautifully strange yet life-transforming ancient text in order to wrestle with suffering. Why it happens, how we're called to respond, how to care for others who are in the midst of suffering. But most importantly, to see where God fits in all of this. So in week one, we discovered that God had allowed his Hasatan, the Satan, to test Job. And the reason he did this to see if Job was faithful to God because he is God, or to see if Job was just faithful because of what God gives him. And how this testing went about is that God allowed the Satan to test Job by taking all of his blessings away one by one, including his children and his health, until Job's life became basically his worst nightmare. And surprisingly, the way we find Job responding to the worst case scenario happening to him, not once, but twice, is that Job does not curse God to his face, like many of us would do given Job's circumstances. Let's be honest about that. But instead, he remains faithful to God and even blesses God in the midst of his suffering, showing that. He really does love God because he is God and not because of what he gets from God. Which, of course, is meant to cause all of us to begin to think about why do we worship and serve God? Is it because of what we get out of the deal? Or do we really love and worship God because he is God? Then last week, as we got into chapter 3, what we encountered as Job finally responds to the tragedies that have taken over his life is that Job, while remaining faithful, he begins to get real about how he's actually feeling on the inside after all of this has happened to him. And what he proclaims over and over again, because that seems to be what is right to him in that moment, is that he wishes he had never been born. It would have been better for him to have never been born, that's how bad things have gotten, than to deal with all that he's dealing with in that moment. Or Job begins to vent and just let it all out as he starts to work through his grief. Which we learned is actually a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's something we need to keep in mind if we ever find ourselves in a place of suffering. It's okay to let go. It's okay to let it all come out, even if it's not right or even if it's not good, because God understands and meets us in those places. And even more than that, begins to respond to those desperate prayers. But now that we have worked our way through all of Job's suffering and his response to that suffering, it's now time to get into how Job's friends respond to Job. And you're really going to want to pay close attention to this because from Job's friends, not only are we going to learn how to respond well to someone who is suffering, but we're also going to learn what not to do. So they get it right and then they get it horribly wrong. And in the midst of all that, we're also going to get into one of the most foundational questions we all have about where is God in the midst of our suffering. It really is 
a beautiful couple of chapters in the book of Job. So, when we take a look at how Job's friends respond to Job's horrible predicament, what we find at the end of chapter 2, before Job even opens his mouth in chapter 3, is that at first, Job friends get it right. This is what you're supposed to do. It says, Three of Job's friends heard of all the trouble that had fallen on him. Each traveled from his own country, Eliphaz from Taman, Bildad from Shua, Zophar from Naamath, and went together to Job to keep him company and comfort him. When they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in lament, ripped their robes, and dumped dirt on their head as a sign of their grief. Then they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights, they sat there without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt and how deeply he was suffering. And that last part you really need to get. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. They sat there without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt and how deeply he was suffering. Or the brilliance of what Job's three friends do in response to his suffering, in the beginning at least is they don't rush in and begin to try to fix things and make everything all right. No, what they do is they just show up. Or after seeing Job in the state that he is in, they don't come in trying to answer questions. Or they don't come in trying to make him feel better. What they do is they simply enter into the suffering with Job by just showing up and sitting with him. Which, by the way, is a wisdom and an example that we can all learn from when trying to comfort people going through tragedy. Because the truth is, it really doesn't matter if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt why the suffering is happening to that person or if you have good intentions. There really is nothing you can say or even do in those moments that's going to make them feel any better. In fact, you could make things a whole lot worse. Which I share with you as a minister who has gone into places to try to fix things and make everyone feel all right because that's what I thought I was supposed to do and only made things worse. So, as Job's friends show us here, the best thing we can do for someone who is suffering, no matter what it is that they're facing, is to just show up and join them in their suffering. Maybe what that looks like is a hug and telling them that you're sorry. Maybe that's offering to help them in whatever way they need help with. Maybe that's taking food by the house. But please, 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 don't try to go in and fix it. Don't go in and offer advice with platitudes. It's going to get better. There's, there's so many different things we say. Don't do that. Just show up and enter into the suffering with those people because that's what they need. Now, I wish I could go on and tell you that this is what Job's friends continue to do until he works out of the darkness and, you know, back into the light. But sadly, that's not what we find Job doing. Instead, what we find Job's friends doing in response to his rant is that they begin to respond to Job. They try to answer Job. And the first thing that they do is they basically give him a guilt trip. And then if that's not bad enough, they then go on and try to explain to Job why this has happened in the first place. Which, by the way, you should never do. So, it says, Then Eliphaz from Taman spoke up, Would you mind if I said something to you? 
Under the circumstances, it's hard to keep quiet. You yourself have done this plenty of times. Spoken words that clarify. Encourage those who are about to quit. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet. Put fresh hope in people about to collapse. But now you're the one in trouble. You're the one hurting. You've been hit hard and you're reeling from the blow. But shouldn't your devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope? Or basically what Eliphaz is saying to Job here is, Hey, Job, weren't you the guy who showed up when others who were suffering to to help them? Weren't you the guy who showed up to give them the wisdom they needed to to get back up after they've been knocked down? Well, then how is it now that you are suffering that you're acting in this way? Or how is it that, that you are now sitting around venting about how you wish you'd never been born when just a couple of months ago you were helping someone else out? Isn't that a bit hypocritical, Job? I mean, what are you doing here? Which, again, is not how you're supposed to respond to someone who's suffering, right? Even if you're right. Even if you're right. But just when you thought Eliphaz ripping Job for acting like a hypocrite is bad, what we find Eliphaz doing next, which is basically nothing more than kicking a man when it's down, is he's trying to explain to Job that everything that has happened to him is his fault. He's going to go in and tell Job why everything that has happened to him is his fault. He says this, think, has truly an innocent person ever ended up on the scrap heap? Do genuinely upright people ever lose out in the end? It is my observation that those who plow evil and sow trouble reap evil and trouble. One breath from God and they fall apart. One blast from his anger and there's nothing left of them. To which I respond to Eliphaz, really Eliphaz? You're going to come in and you're going to tell this guy who has just lost his property, his health, and all of his children that all this has happened because of him? What? Why would you even do that? Why would you even try to come up with an explanation at all in that place? It just doesn't make any sense. But What you need to know is that this is actually the brilliance of the parable working itself out because this response is actually introducing the question that Job and his friends are going to be arguing about for the rest of the book, which just so happens to be one of the big questions we all wrestle with when it comes to where God fits when we suffer. So basically, what Eliphaz is getting at is this. He says, hey, Job, it's quite clear to me that the reason you were suffering Or the reason you have lost your kids, your wealth, and you have been stricken with boils is because you have done something wrong. You have sinned, and God is punishing you. And the reason Eliphaz knows that, or claims to know that, is because he believes that God never allowed bad things to happen to faithful people. Or he believes that people always get what they deserve. And so since something bad has happened to Job, then that means all that has happened to Job is his fault, which we know is not true because we read the first of the book, but they don't know that at this point, right? Or to make this logic a bit more real in our context, according to Eliphaz's understanding of the way God works in this world, that means the 2,977 people who died on September 11th, along with the 6,000 others who were injured, when terrorists flew those planes into the World Trade Center, 
Yeah, those people, along with everyone else who has ever suffered, got what they deserved. Because the way God works, according to Eliphaz, especially when it comes to tragedy, is that people always reap what they sow. Or or as he puts it, it is my observation that those who plow evil and sow trouble reap evil and trouble. Which brilliantly is the way this parable is helping us to get at one of the foundational questions we all have when it comes to suffering. Right? Do we really always reap what we sow? Do we always get what we deserve? Is suffering truly our fault? Is it the case that that when tragedy strikes and, and bad things happen, that what's really going on is God is punishing us for our sins? Is this the kind of God we serve? Is this how God really works? According to Eliphaz and the rest of Job's friends, because that's what the argument is going to be about for the next, like, almost 38 chapters, is yes. Because according to them, the reason all of these bad things have happened to Job, and anyone else for that matter, is because they have sinned and God is punishing them for their sins. Which, by the way, is also a logic that, that if you'll trace it out through your normal everyday lives, that basically proclaims that if you are wealthy and living the good life, then that means you are a faithful person doing everything right. But if you're poor and life is hard, or you have ever had something bad happen to you, then that means you have sinned and God is punishing you for that sin. So what do you guys think? You got a question over here? Okay, so, so now that we've wrestled with and gotten into how Job's friends respond and then their take on what's going on in the midst of suffering, what this parable does now at this point through, um, it, it's through chapters 4 and 5, but it goes beyond that, is it, it's basically forcing us to wrestle with this deep existential question. Right? A question that, that that we all have in regards to where God is when suffering happens. And that question is this. Do you think the reason why tragedy happens is because God is punishing us for our sins? Do you think we always reap what we sow? Do you think we always get what we deserve? Is that, what, is that what's going on? Or is there something else going on here? Is it bigger than that? Well, Given you guys are going to need some time to wrestle with that, I'm going to give you that question as your assignment this week. Does tragedy happen because God is punishing us for our sins? But then I want to invite you back next week as we get into how Job begins to respond to this question to see what it is he might have to teach us about our God and where God fits when it comes to our suffering. Let us pray. Father, again, this parable just sucks us in. It's amazing to to get into this text and to see not only how to respond to people who are suffering in a good way, but how not to respond 
But then to get into this deep existential question we all have regarding suffering, which is, when bad things happen, are are you just punishing us? Is that the way you work? Do we always reap what we sow? Do we always get what we deserve? Or is there something else going on? Well, Lord, as we wrestle with this question this week, And in the next couple of weeks, we ask that you would help us to learn who you are and how you work in our lives in regards to suffering so that we can know and find comfort in you no matter what happens in our lives or around us. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.